0: of folks through the years that i've pastored over these last 37 8 years that i can tell you they were following the lord i watched them they did they followed the lord and something happened sometimes maybe it's just their lack of care to their spiritual life and they got off track they got on a different course you follow me it's it's a strange thing the word in uh the book of Matthew, Jesus is bringing down the teachings on the Sermon on the Mount, and he's bringing down that very few people are willing to live like this. Very few people are willing to follow this. And here's what he says in chapter 7 of that tremendous uh, Sermon on the Mount. He says, Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate for broad, wide is the, the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And then notice the language here. Many, many, the majority, the majority, many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And then listen to this. Only a few find it. It shouldn't surprise us that the majority of people are going another way. We are living in a day where we are swimming upstream, aren't we? We are. The majority of the world's going another route. They really are. And it's important for us to hear that truth. Mike, DeLeve, with only five people qualified that finished the race, the national 10,000-meter cross-country championship, he was the champion because he went the right way and four others. Just think, almost everybody in the race got got a prize, right? First, second, third. Only two people didn't didn't place. That's kind of sad. You could say, hey, I finished fifth in the race of 128, and it would be true, wouldn't it? And it would sound like you did very well. Well, you were it. You were the back of the line. I want you to see something with me this morning as we look at the scriptures. I want to just lay out just an outline to kind of just talk about this, and here's three truths I want to show you in this chapter 2 that Jonah encounters about God. Number one, he acknowledges the sovereignty of God. I want to tell you something. If you were thrown overboard on a ship because you had disobeyed God, and now you're sinking down and the language is so poetic, he talks about going to the roots, to the very roots of the mountains under the sea. He talks about, uh, one of the most gross descriptions here is that he's got, I mean, not only is he drowning, he has seaweed, wrapped around his head. Um, you know, when we were in California a couple of weeks ago, we just thought it would be just really good stewardship if one night before it got dark that we ran out to the beach. So we ran out to Laguna Beach uh, just because we know you'd want us to have that experience to see that little blue uh, pond called the Pacific. And uh, a couple of the guys had not seen uh, the Pacific, so we ran out there. And lo and behold, even though it was so beautiful there around Laguna Beach, there was uh, an area that I was, I had my tennis shoes on, so I didn't actually get in, it was, you know, up in the evening, getting just about dark, but uh, there was seaweed that was coming in. Now, I don't know about you, but seaweed is a gross product of the sea. It has all kinds of value, and I, I, you know, for those of you, you can come tell me about all the values of seaweed, I know it has many, and, uh, I know that it's it's uh, you know very uh, productive in lots of ways, but it's a gross thing to get wrapped around your leg. Have you noticed that? If you've been in the ocean, you got it on you. It's kind of a mess. This past week, I went down and hung out with the kids. Well, they went swimming in the lake the day that I was there. Some of them went to the swimming pool. Uh, the lake was uh, you know it was it was a nice little lake, but there was a section right beside where they climb up to get on this pyramid and they slide down on the other side, and they had to. You know, climb, like kind of a climbing, uh, like almost a climbing rock. You had to, to do that part first. And some of them were, man, they were going at it. But I kept trying to get some of them to come over. There was this algae section that was up against the shore. And I said, if you'll get in that, I'll take a picture of you. Not one of our ki- kids or not one youth worker, and Austin wouldn't do it either, they would not get in that algae pile. They just wouldn't do it. It was gross, wasn't it? I was, I didn't know if any of them, I try—I you know, I just was messing with them. Get over there and I'll take a picture of you. And uh, anyway, uh, I didn't get in it, and they didn't get in it, but they had a good time. It's gross to have some of the things that grow in water get on you, isn't it? It is. Uh, And here, insult to injury is he has got seaweed, you're drowning, you're about to die, your life is ebbing away, and you got seaweed wrapped around your head that's pretty gross isn't it that's a gross way to go and uh in this passage you'll notice that he says that he uh, uh from the depths of the grave well that word grave is the word sheo it's an interesting term in the old testament it even seems progressive the way that it's interpreted through the years and through the centuries in the old testament it was the abode of the dead in fact they're uh was language, if you notice the language of Jesus when he's on the cross, and we won't get into this too much, because the Bible says to be absent from the Lord is to be what? Is that if we're absent from the body, we're what? I didn't quote that just correctly. I'm going to requote it, okay? If we're absent from the body, we are what? Present with the Lord. Well, Jesus said something very interesting. He used the word paradise, didn't he? And I won't get into this. This is a time for, a, you know, another, I'm just going to get your curiosity up. But uh, there's a, a statement there where it says, Today, to the thief on the cross that repented, you will be with me where? He didn't say in the kingdom of heaven or in the new city of Jerusalem. We know that is yet to be unveiled. But he says, you'll be with me in paradise. Uh, some of the language in the Old Testament was a development of the Sheol concept being that it was a place, the abode of the dead, and uh some even even talked about that i had a discussion with somebody this this past week about whether whether jonah actually died well whether he did or not is really not that pertinent to the story the story is about his survival and his opportunity to repent again but you know could he have drowned fall he he definitely speaks of language here that you know it's it's possible um Could he have been revived in the fish like we see people revived today? He got jarred around in there. Here's what we know. The fish was a compartment where somebody between probably five foot to six foot tall could dwell. There had to be oxygen there to sustain him for three days, or otherwise God performed a miracle on another dimension about sustaining Jonah. We do know that he was alive inside the fish because the Bible says so. And if the Bible says so, it is so, isn't it? Have you come to that reality in life? If it says so, it's so. In this passage, he also says to us that he was able to breathe, he was able to to pray, he was alive in the fish. Don't uh, get too crazy with all the stuff that can go on with uh, looking at the fish. If you remember, the title of my series is The Story That's Bigger Than the Fish. And it really is. The miracle is that God got a man's attention who was disobedient to him. God will use things in your life to get your attention as well. God is invested in you. His son died for you. God has invested in you and he wants you to love him back and to serve him. And that's what this is all about. Jonah gets this message from God, gets on a ship going the opposite direction. Instead of going to Nineveh, he went to Joppa, or he was on his way to Joppa. They kind of figured it out on the boat, and they threw him overboard. He got swallowed by a fish, and this fish was a prepared fish. Was it a shark? Was it a a Megadon? Was it a, you know, what, what was it? Well, it's a place that he was able to exist. God made this fish ready for him, that he could live, and that's what he did. And at the end, he gets vomited out by the fish. That's where we're going to end today. But look at the passage. He says, in the setting of desperation, what did Jonah do? He cried out to the Lord. Wow, how impressive. That's what most people do in moments of desperation is they look to their maker. They cry out to the Lord. I'm not real impressed, and I know you're not either. That's what the majority of people people that are reasonable. If you're about to die and you won't look to your maker, to your creator, you are messed up. Plain and simple. I'll smile at you, but you're messed up. I mean, if you will not bend to God in the moment that you're leaving this life, wow, that is messed up. In a setting of desperation, Daniel had prophesied in a way as well about uh God being sovereign, then the older I get, the more I believe in the sovereignty of God. Daniel chapter 4, verse 25, it says, The Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Now that's true about all things. If you read Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1, it tells us that God has the king's heart in his hand and he can direct that just like. He directs a stream or river. He can direct that any which way he chooses. That's one of the reasons God tells us in First Timothy 2 that we should pray for those that are in authority over us, kings and those that have power with them. For us, I mean, right now we're looking at another judicial appointment to the Supreme Court, and uh, man, this could be so, so big. Uh, it really could. Um, so we have that before us, and we have that branch, and we have those that uh, they kind of counterbalance each other, don't they? And especially with the Republicans and Democrats, they make sure there's a counter counterbalance there. I mean, it is a divided bunch of folks, but uh, we have this system. And the Bible tells us that we should pray for them. And why should we pray for them? So that we may have peace in This life is what it tells us in that passage. And there's another passage in Romans 13 about obeying authorities. And we need to do that. For what reason? So that there may be structure and order to our culture. Very important. In Psalm 103, verse 19, the Lord established his throne in heaven and on. And his kingdoms rule over all. Here's something you've got to come to in this life. God is over all. It may not look like it, it may not feel like it at times, but God is over all. We are on his time clock. We are on a system that he has playing out of how long mankind will live on the earth. Heaven is coming, the new Jerusalem is coming, Jesus is coming again. We know that that's going to start a whole new progress of God's kingdom being brought to us and us to him. And the Bible makes it crystal clear that's playing out. Now, whether you want to admit it in your short 70 or 80, 90 years of life, and some are living, there's over 100,000 people in the United States alone that are over 100 years old. Isn't that amazing? And they said it's going to be 150,000. I think it's like another 5 or 10 years. And then there's going to be perhaps 250,000 people in the United States that are 100 or more. How many of you remember a day, and some of you won't in here, but how many of you remember a day it was very, very rare that you heard about a 100-year-old person? It's getting to be more common, huh? It doesn't matter how long you live, you're going to die. That's the cheerful part of the message today. That's the good news. No, that's not the good news. The good news, in spite of death, Jesus has made a way, and God is calling us to follow him. Now, in this particular passage, we have this word sheo, the abode of the dead. And we could get into this for a long time, but it, it um, you know, whether Daniel, he, his life was slipping away, there's no doubt. He's sinking down. If you're down to the depths of the ocean at the roots of the mountain, you are pretty far down, and you've been oxygen-deprived for quite a while, haven't you? you uh, and then on top of that, insult to injury, Seaweeds wrapped around your head. That is so stinking gross, isn't it? I mean, you're talking about an ugly, bad way to go out. Here it is. He's sinking, he's drowning, and he's got seaweed wrapped around his head. That's gross, isn't it? It is. Well, he tells us that whether he was about at the point of, of, of Shio or he was not, he is praying inside the fish. In verse 6 and verse 8 it says this, 6 to 8 it says the roots of the mountain I sank down uh, the earth uh, beneath me barred me in forever but you brought my life up from from the pit O Lord my God when my life was ebbing away I remembered you and my prayer rose to you to your holy temple. What else are you going to do if you're in the belly of a fish and you're gone? Do you think he thought he was going to live at that point? It would take a lot of faith to believe he was going to survive this, right? If you found yourself, you're alive, but you're inside a fish, and you're down under the sea, do you think you're going to make it? I don't think he thought he was going to make it. But he's praying and he's repenting. And even in faith, he makes a statement in this chapter 2 that I want you to see. It tells us that it's, a, it's an amazing thing. Now, I'm not impressed that much with him praying because what else would you do? You better be praying if you're about to be tap, taken out, right? That's what you should do in a moment of absolute desperation. He appreciates this salvation that God's given. And look in verse 9. It says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. We live in a culture that's eaten up with idols. We really are. I mean, man, now, what what, in the, what accessories can we add to the cars we already drive? We keep adding them. We keep adding them. I have a car. I drive a Jeep Cherokee. It's about a year, year and a half, two years old. It has all kinds of things on it. I've got a little TV screen there on the dash. It, I can control just about everything from that little screen. It has heated seats like I'm going to use those in Dallas, Texas. It's got a heated steering wheel that will burn your fingers off in about 60 seconds. That car was built for winter. Here's what's really cool. I just discovered this a couple of days ago. That I, You know, I have one of those starters. You can start the car before you get there. And I started it up. I thought, well, I wonder if it will do the reverse. It always would do the heat thing. I wonder if, uh, if I got the air conditioning set, if it would just turn... It turns the air conditioner on full blast, and in these hundred plus days, that is so cool to get to the car and the car's already cool. Such a neat thing. But we've been looking for a house because we we just plan on settling in. Whether well, you like us or not, how about that? <laughs> we've been looking for a home while we sold our home, and we've been looking around. So we've been doing a lot of open houses. We still have a lease on the house where we're staying, and it's a 12-month, so we're trying to bide our time time a little bit, but we keep looking, and we've kind of decided, you know, I'd like to be fairly close to the church, and we've kind of decided the areas that we are open to, and we keep going to open houses there. The other day, I went to a house, and man, it had all these bells and whistles, and we went outside, and you would have thought you were at some pay, pay place to go outside. I mean, it had this beautiful garden, it had three or four canopies over top to give you plenty of shade. It had a mister to cool you off, so it's 10, 20 degrees cooler out there. And then there was a walkway. It went out to another area. And I'm like, man, what is the price on this house? This is nice. And when you walk right outside, there are TVs, plural TVs. There were three TVs hanging up off the porch. One angle this way, one straight ahead, it was big, the biggest one, and one this way. And I said, a dude, a dude built this. I know he did. This is his man cave. He has an outdoor man cave. And I just looked at that, and but isn't it crazy how we just keep adding to? We went to see a relative uh, back. Before we moved, we wanted to see some family that were back in West Virginia. We walked in their house, and they had an 80-inch TV in their living room. 80 inches. Do you really need, in a living room that's a 16 by 20, do you really need an 80-inch television he said, yes, I do. I, my eyesight's not as good, and I love car racing, and, man, I, I can watch, it's like car, I'm like in the traffic with them. I said, I bet. I watched one with him. I thought, it is like you're in the traffic. But we just keep getting bigger TVs. Had a family, right before I left the the other uh, church family and came down here, had a church, uh, we have been reach, trying to reach out to them, and they, they were a family that were in dire straits, poverty just didn't have much at all. They didn't have a TV. Well, I had a TV down in my basement that we hadn't been using, but it was the kind that has a tube. You remember those? So, it was about from here to here, front to back, and then about that wide. And you had to have some muscle to pick it up. It was about a 38, 40 inch TV or something, but it, I said, hey, I'll bring that TV over your house, and The people don't have a TV. You know what they said? Oh, we don't want one like that. I mean, I just about swallowed my tongue. I was like, you don't have a TV and you won't take a TV, even if it's... No, we want a flat panel. You got money for a flat panel? No. We just thought maybe you or somebody else would help us get one. I'm like, here's a TV. It's free. It's analog. It's not digital. But you can get some channels, and you can watch something for a while until you get a flat screen. Nah, we'll just wait, Pastor, until we can get a flat screen. We're eat up with idols, aren't we? We really are. I just walked away, and I thought, no TV is better than not having a flat screen, evidently. And I know everybody's got flat screens. I know. I know. I understand that part. But we're, we're eat up with this idle thing. We really are. It's got to be more. Or the Smiths and the Jones. This one's got a bigger one. This one has more accessories on their SUV. And we, just gotta, and we just keep playing that game. Do you know you can never win at that game? Even if you get the best and the primo of everything, and I'm especially talking to you dudes, all right? Listen up. If you get the best in, of everything, it's only a matter of time till somebody passes you up and you might be in big time debt to do what you're doing. Now you're in debt and somebody's got something better than you do. Don't play the game. It's a rat race. It really is. The only way to win is just don't play. You say, well, pastor, do you have flat screen televisions in your house? I do. <laughs> the, church, the former church gave me one of them for an anniversary one year. Pastor Appreciation Month, they were like, here. I'm like, really? Yeah, we love you. I'm not looking for another one, church. I'm not trying, you know, there, there's no suggestions there. They just gave me, I'm just telling you, that's where I, the first flat screen television I got, the church gave it to me. They knew I didn't have one. We were doing a Super Bowl party at the house, and they are like, let's get Pastor a TV that we'd all like to go watch. I think that's what it was really about, you know. We're going to do Super Bowl thing over at his house, so let's get him a TV that's acceptable. So I have one. I have like a 47, and I have a 51. And then we have a little one in a bedroom. And, that, you know, that's, you know, I don't know, 32 or 37 or something. I don't even remember what it is. But we just can get so hung up on that stuff, can't we? Don't watch that. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, with a sacrifice to you, what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. Now, if you just went into the sea, thrown by men that, that really don't want you to die, but they, don't, they know the lot was cast on you, you're guilty, you did something, you have disobeyed God in some way, God's angry and the storm's about to take them all down. They throw you overboard. Now you're drowning. And then a fish swallows you up. If that was you, if you were Jonah or Jonette, would you pray? I think you would. I really do think you'd pray. Most decent people would go, God, help me! I'm in desperation. Now, he prays this prayer. Now, he obviously had faith because you'll read verse 9 and 10, and what does he do? He says this, but I will, with a song of thanksgiving, he's still in the fish when he says this. This is faith. We'll, we'll sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. Give me another chance, Lord. Let me out of this prison. Let me out of this fish and I will do what you said. Would you be willing to pray that? I have had lots of people tell me about foxhole experiences when they were in the military and facing death. I remember one brother telling me that he got baptized and was in our church and they baptized them in coffins that were for the bodies to take home. They filled up those coffins and baptized those men, the chaplains did. I think that would bring a little more significance about the meaning of baptism to most of us, wouldn't it? I got baptized in a coffin. Wow. Listen to this third principle, and it's here. in. Uh, he appreciated God's gift. The Bible tells us that he accepted God's grace. And Isaiah tells us, for the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. Isn't that a great verse? He also, he tells us that he accepted his service to God. What did he say he would do? I made a vow and I will keep it. And I want you to hear something. He tells us that he repented of his former choice. That would be an easy choice to make based on where he is in life, isn't it? He's in a place of desperation, and he repents. Now, there's a man that uh, I love reading. He's a pastor, and he's, he's one of these pastors that he's really funny besides just really driving home the Word of God. And I've been reading him for years, but I'm read, I re- I'm reading one of his books this summer, and he's talking about he's been in the church where he served like for 25, 30 years. And he was talking about uh, there was this guy that comes down in the church service, And he prays out loud when he comes to the altar. And he said that he was praying, God, clean out the cobwebs in my heart. Clean out the cobwebs in my heart. And he prays it all the time and said, you can hear him. He said, I just went over to him and I got down on my knees with him after I don't know how many years of him praying this out loud. And I said, God, would you just kill the spider? Would you kill the spider in this guy's life? He just keeps on being embattled with the cobwebs and the and the and the spider webs. Would you just kill the spider? Check this out. He gets recommissioned. I want to take you to chapter 3 and just read verse 1 and 2. Here it is. The beginning of chapter 3 says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Isn't that, isn't that sweet? That's grace. He didn't listen the first time. Think about what he's been through. <laughs> God's got his attention, doesn't he? He's desperate. He cries out to God in that desperation. He said, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to that great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I gave you. And he's going to do that. Stephen Alford is another person that I've read a lot, studied. I used to listen to his messages uh, because he's just... Boy, he was just such an incredible preacher. He was the pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in New York City for many years. But what a lot of people don't know about Stephen Alford is Stephen Alford grew grew up on the mission field in Africa. His parents were missionaries. And he grew up on the mission field, saw God do all kinds of incredible things in Africa. And then when he was college age, he came to England and went to college. And while he was there, and in fact, I think he might have gone to Oxford, if I remember correctly, he started getting away from the Lord. One of the things he took up was car racing. He actually got very involved in car racing, had a horrendous crash. Car caught on fire. His body burnt. Very high percentage of his body was burned. He's in the hospital laying there, wrapped and getting skin grafts and just uh, continuing to be ministered to because of the burns all over his body, and he gets a letter sent to his college post box that some of his friends bring to the hospital, and it's from his dad. And you gotta forget the internet for a minute because this was years ago, decades. It came in the snail mail, and I mean really snail mail. It came from a boat sent, sent by ship from Africa. This letter was written three months before that accident. Three months. I want to read to you what part of that letter said. Stephen Alford's dad wrote this, my son even though we're separated by miles, I sense that you're not walking with the Lord. I want to leave you with this one thought. There is but one life. It will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I don't know what's going on, son. I just know you need to come back to God. Stephen Offer said tears just started running down his face. He rolled out of the hospital bed. He said it really, really hurt. Fell down on his knees, then kind of laid on his face before the Lord and he repented and he said, God, what you called me to do on the mission field with my folks a long time ago, if you give me another chance and you heal me I'll serve you the rest of my life and I'll preach the unsearchable riches of your word and man, what a preacher what an incredible preacher of the word of God, one of my favorites I still read his messages, he died just a couple years ago, incredible incredible testimony He had a Jonah moment. Since I started this series, I have had several people in the church come talk to me. I was a Jonah. I was a Jonah. I was a Jonette. I was a Jonette. I mean, just tell me over and over and tell me about what they've gone through. You'll probably hear one or two of the testimonies this next week or two because you should hear them. See, I know sitting here talking to this many people, there are people that are away from God. And if you're not fully away from God, you've compartmentalized parts of your life that you're keeping from God. You're controlling them, not giving them to God. I see people doing it all the time today in the church. Would you let go of that and give it to God before there's a moment of incredible desperation like this? Just give yourself back to the Lord. Get back on track. The narrow path is walked by few. Did you hear that? Those are Jesus' words, not Barry Jews. Many or most, the majority, don't walk the path. They don't walk the narrow path of the gospel and living for Christ. They don't. You have to choose to go against the culture. You have to choose to go against the grain. You have to choose... That I don't care what anybody else says, whether I'm popular or not, young people, I'm living for Jesus. I heard one of our young people say this past week, it really blessed me. They made this statement They said, I'm Jesus' girl, and I'm going to live for him no matter what. Boom! I'm like, she gets it. She really does. How about you? You need to get back on track? You need to give an area of your life back to the Lord? Only you know what's there between you and God. If you need to spend time at this altar reconnecting, or you need to make Jesus Christ God's Son, your Lord and Savior, and repent of your sins, I know I haven't preached about that today, but if you need to do that, come talk to me. Man, we're baptizing folks. I got four committed already next week, and we've got others, lots of others to talk to. Some of the youth might be getting baptized, so we'll see. Next week's going to be fun. Don't miss it. Let's pray. Father, in this time of invitation, some people need to get back on track. I have no doubt. Help them to move to you and not chase the way of the world, not go the broad road, not go the way that so many go, but have enough courage to follow you with a whole heart. Father, if they've got areas of their life that are compartmentalized and they're keeping them from you, I pray that you would just help them to give those over to you and be fully committed, a fully devoted follower. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen.